We're in week three of our Scent series. Um, if you aren't aware, we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been kind of kind of looking through it. And, and actually, this morning, we're going to not kind of go in order. We kind of jumped a little bit ahead last week uh, when we talked about the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and the results of that and how the, the believers responded to the gift of the Holy Spirit and all those sort of things. And we, we looked at some questions and, and, and kind of how they responded to it and kind of what happened. We talked about the wind and the fire. And the, and, and the tongues, and we talked about how when this, when this gift came, how it changed these individuals from the inside out. And so when we see that, we begin to see something else that took place. And again, we kind of jumped ahead last week, but really this morning, what I want to do is I want to kind of dissect and look deeply at the message that Peter speaks on the day of Pentecost. A lot of theologians and people a lot smarter than me have called this the first sermon of the church. This was the first one. And, and kind of give you a little background, we'll kind of get into this a little bit more in a minute, but, but Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost without notes, without preparing, without all of these things, and he just begins with the power of the Holy Spirit to share this message and to share this, this sermon that, again, we call kind of the first sermon of the church. And so I want to look at it. I want to dissect it a little bit because I think there's some very important things for us to see and understand and kind of look at. And so there's some elements that he brings forth that I think really show us today a little bit more of a deep understanding of how we can be that kind of that sermon. A lot of times we hear pastors or people talk about that, that basically they'll kind of have that kind of cliche of for a lot of people, your life is the best sermon that anyone will ever hear. And so some of these things we can take and apply into our own lives, and some of them are things that we can help us to understand in a deeper level who Jesus is, what he's come to do, and really help us to understand this concept of scent. You know, it's like, you know, I've had people, as we've looked at this, you know, I, I know we're supposed to be sent. I know that the book of Acts is all about that movement and being the ecclesia like we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. But what do I do? How do, how do I share these things? Well, in, in, in this message that Peter gives on the day of Pentecost, he gives us some of those, those, those helps and shows us some of those things. So before we jump in to his message, we're going to take a quick step back and we're going to start in Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to pretty much be all morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. The, the notes and things like that will be up on the screen. But we're going to kind of give a little context, a little bit of an intro. We'll kind of cover a little bit of the things we covered last week just so that we have a nice cohesive movement forward. But we're going to start in Acts 2. And before we do, though, I want to pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And God, once again, we just pray that you would just speak, that my words would cease and that yours would begin and mine would not start until this is done. Because God, we need your words. We need what your spirit wants to do in the hearts and the lives of people. So God, I pray that you would just do that in the name of Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to jump into Acts 2. We're going to start with looking at verse number 11. And again, this is going to kind of give us a little bit of context. Uh, at, at this point in the story, the Holy Spirit has been given. And the, the, like we talked about last week, we've seen these, these signs that have come with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so now they have left the upper room and they have kind of gone out into this throng of people who are in Jerusalem for this, this Feast of Pentecost, okay? So here's where we're at. And, and so basically they're speaking these languages out and the crowd responds and this is, and we hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. 
So they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk, that's all. Now, before we kind of get into this, I want you to kind of see where our crowd is in this moment. They're kind of, they're, they're, they're confused, they're, they're somewhat ridiculing. And here's what's interesting about this. As I look at our world today, as I look at our culture, I see basically two major things that are taking place in it. Number one, there is a ton of confusion. There's a lot of perplexed, perplexed people. What's this look like? What's going on? How does this work? I don't understand. So there's a lot of perplexed people. But there's also another group of people. There's a bunch of people that are basically in this story, we see this kind of under this idea of ridiculing and, and things. But really what it is, it's finding blame. It's, it's shifting blame. It's like, I, I, I'm going to judge this individual for doing something that is silly, wrong, and, and, and inappropriate, basically. Because we're going to see in a minute that Peter responds. He says, listen, listen, we're, these people aren't drunk. It's 9 a.m., basically, is what he's going to tell them. But isn't it interesting that in this crowd of people, that in a lot of ways in this story can represent the world that we come in contact with, the people that we come in contact with that are, don't know who Jesus is, don't know what the story really is, live their lives a lot of times in this idea of confusion and, and, and judgment shifting. We're really good at that. Because here's the thing, if I can find out what's wrong with you, I don't have to deal with the stuff that's wrong with me. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that wonderful? And so this is the crowd's mood right now. Confusion, ridicule. This is not what I would consider to be a nice crowd. It's somewhat hostile based on the fact that they don't know what's going on. Now, let's continue on with the story, Acts 2, 14 and 15. It says, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. Now here, let, let's stop here for a second. We're going to get to verse 15 in a minute. Let's remember who this guy is. This is the guy who denies Jesus to a servant girl. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in, in our earlier series this year. This is the guy who denies Christ. Now he stands up. And listen, isn't it interesting here that he doesn't say, hey, listen, listen, here, here listen, if, if you're a little confused, you don't know what's going on, here's an option for you. Here's a possibility for you. He doesn't do that. Now, I, I like Peter. You remember, I've told this before. Peter, unfortunately, in some ways, and maybe good in other ways, I kind of relate a lot with Peter. And what I mean by that is big mouth, and usually a big mouth means a good big foot can fit in it sometimes. That's me, and that's Peter. Okay? But Peter here, he doesn't... He doesn't kind of walk in and go, hey, um, listen, if you're confused, can we, can we talk? He comes out boldly and strongly and says, make no mistake. What's he saying in, this, in our world today? It's real simple. He's basically saying, listen, you want the answer, I got the answer, and I'll tell you if you want to hear it. I really believe in our world today, more Christians need to have that type of an attitude. Now, I don't mean rude. But I mean a confidence that says, listen, we have the answer. And we have the answer not because we have figured it out, but because we've read God's word and it told us what the answer is. It's Jesus. 
So he stands up there and proclaims that. Listen, make no mistake about it. And he's going to now, in 15, tell you what he, you, you shouldn't make a mistake about. And then for the rest of the chapter that we're going to look at today, his message, he continues helping people to see what there's no mistake about. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Okay? Now, I, I could get into this, and I really just don't have time this morning, but there is some really good Jewish law-type stuff that could bore you silly that I could get into to show what Peter was saying here was not necessarily a situation where these people just, oh, well, I can drink at 9.01. No, this was something that they just did not do for many, many reasons. Okay? So he's not just saying, hey, this is, this is culturally not what we would do, but this is religiously also what we would not do. This is just something that would not happen in a situation like this, okay? So Peter now, he begins to kind of explain these things, and now he's going to kind of bust out the first sermon, the first message of the church. And we're going to break this down in four elements, okay? Four elements that Peter brings along to help us to see and to help those there in Jerusalem to understand what this is really all about. So the first thing we're going to look at, and it's in your notes, we're going to break this down, is the explanation. The explanation. These people are going, what's going on? Are these people drunk? Why are they speaking these words? What is happening here? So Peter brings us the explanation in Acts 2. We're going to start with verse number 16 and go to verse 21. So here's what it says. No, okay, once again, not drunk, no. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Here, Peter is quoting from Joel, Joel 2. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days... I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. Verse 20. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I want to help us understand this, because a lot of times, especially in church, Assembly of God churches, Pentecostal churches, man, we love Joel 2, we love it, and things like that. What Peter here is saying is he's talking about the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, in this context, what we need to understand is this is not a complete fulfillment of the prophecy. It is a partial fulfillment that is begun on the day of Pentecost, but will conclude later on in the end times. So what Peter here is sharing is, listen, what you are seeing, what is taking place, you are beginning to see the process unfold before your very eyes. This was prophesied by Joel a long, long time ago. And what's so wonderful about this is this would have been mind-blowing to those that were there. It would have been, like to us, we're kind of used to it, if that makes sense. We've been in this age of the Holy Spirit, in this age of grace for a long time. So we kind of, kind of, not kind of fling our nose at it, but it's just not as a big deal. To them, this was earth-shattering stuff, okay? This was like, oh my goodness, everything has changed because of what has just taken place here. 
We've talked a little bit about this in the past. But you need to understand how the Holy Spirit worked under the Old Covenant and in the Old Testament versus what he begins to do now in the New Testament and in the New Covenant and especially in the book of Acts. In the Old Testament, what God would do is he would pour out his Holy Spirit, usually on one individual for a certain amount of time to prophesy or to do certain things. It was for a certain purpose, a certain time, a certain situation, and a certain person. Okay? This is what they're used to. When you look at the calling of Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, we see that type of experience. We see where God basically pours out his Holy Spirit on them and they begin to prophesy and share these things that God has laid on their heart. But there's not a lot of them. It's, not, it's very exclusive, if that'll make sense. It's very exclusive. Now, we're seeing something completely and totally different now we're seeing God begin to not kind of a little bit here, a little bit there. Now we see this imagery of pouring out. Okay, You ever had a, one of those droppers? When I was in school, we took, I, I took some science class. I don't even remember what it was. I tried to block all that out. Um, but you know, you have an eyedropper or whatever. You know, you get the water in it and you're like, doop, doop, doop. And, and it's because if you put like five drops instead of, you know, six, you know, Things will blow up. You know what I mean? I always look at that in the Old Testament with the Holy Spirit. That's kind of what God was doing. He kind of took those little droppers. And, and in those individuals, he'd go, drop Holy Spirit. Drop Holy Spirit. Drop Holy Spirit. Drop Holy Spirit. Now, what Joel was prophesying about, and now what Peter is saying is right here, right now, in front of all of us, it was like God took a 55-gallon bucket. And instead of going, drop, drop, drop the Holy Spirit, he goes, Whoosh. This is in your notes. You need to get this. Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was given in drops to certain people at certain times for specific purposes. Now, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon all people. All people. Listen, God doesn't want His Holy Spirit to be dropped on you with a dropper. Okay? I could go get a dropper. I even thought about doing this and I just couldn't figure out a way or a volunteer that would be willing to let me do this. I could take a dropper and I could come up to your head and I could go, okay, uh, we'll, we'll use Megan because it's not real because you know she would never let me do this. And I go, drop on Megan's head, drop on Megan's head. I could put lots of drops on Megan's head. And you know what? Megan might feel it, but no one else would be able to tell a difference. Now, if I brought Megan up and see, aren't you glad I didn't do this? You know, thank you. And I got a 55-gallon uh, thing of water. And I went, okay, Megan. Whoosh. Guess what? There is no one here that would doubt that Megan had not had water poured on her head. That's what the Lord wants to do in our lives. He wants it to be so obvious that the Holy Spirit has come to anoint us with power and, and authority, that it's just like people, like if people walk up to you and go like, I don't know what happened, but you're wet. How'd you get so wet? It's so important that we understand that. It's so vital. So this, in front of these people, this was life-altering. This was like, like you mean, wait, wait, you mean that God's holy presence and God's Holy Spirit can dwell in me. We're seeing this right now. And Peter's like, absolutely. Because here's the thing. This is a Jewish crowd. 
This is a devout Jewish crowd. They would have known Joel too. Peter quotes several scriptures. We're going to get to the other ones in a minute. They know this. So this is completely different. And so the explanation is, listen, these people aren't drunk. No, no, no. This is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all people. I love that Joel mentions men, women, servants, all young, old. God's looking at it going, listen, before, yeah, there may have been, okay, I'm going to drop here, I'm going to drop here, I'm going to be more specific. Now he's like, this is for everyone. Everyone. There's no class distinction. There's no gender distinction. There's no race distinction. It is for all of us. If you are a child of God, it's for you. Which is awesome. Awesome. So that's the explanation. Now, these people aren't losing it. These people have been empowered with the Holy Spirit. Next, Peter moves into something that shouldn't be this controversial, but it is, unfortunately. He moves into the focus. So he moves from the explanation. Now he moves into the focus of the message. Look at Acts 2, 22. We're going to look at also through verse 24. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. I love that. Peter's like, you've seen it, okay? You've seen this. This isn't, this isn't by, by and by, you know, glory, glory, hallelujah. I mean, you've seen the stuff that Jesus has done. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Good old Peter. <laughs> you did it. You know what I've always believed? We don't necessarily know this, but I just believe it just based on traveling patterns and things like that. I truly believe that some of the same individuals that Peter is preaching to today were the same individuals that about 50 days earlier were yelling, crucify him. So he makes it personal. You. Not grandma, not grandpa, not mom or dad, not son, not dog. You. And before we get all high and mighty... <laughs> Let's remember that if Peter was here, he could point his finger and say the same thing about us because we've all fallen short. You nailed him to the cross and killed him. But God raised him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. I love it. What's the focus? It's Jesus. What's the focus of this church? It's Jesus. What should be the focus of our lives? It's Jesus. We have tended to kind of make it about other things. God forgive us. And I love the fact that once he gives an explanation, he's like, hey, listen, they're not drunk. Let's move on to what this is all about. It's about Jesus. And in this moment, he gives this gospel message. He breaks it down and starts to help them understand, listen, we are all guilty. You are the one that put him to death. But you know what? God raised him up. Death couldn't hold him. And we get this beautiful gospel message. I love it. It goes along with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
I don't know if I mentioned this. I was trying to think about it this week, and as I was putting, kind of putting all this together, it came to my mind as kind of an illustration. And so I was like, have I mentioned this before? So if I have, just go with it. If I haven't, then great, okay? But I've learned something. My son has started something this year that he's never really done before, which is not bad, but it's just different, okay? Well, I'll go pick him up, or his mom will pick him up for school, and he'll come into the car, and he'll say, Dad? I say, yeah. He goes, I made a trade. I made a trade. Now, I don't know if you, like, like me, like I go, oh no. Like my, I'm going, first of all, did Easton take advantage of someone or did someone take advantage of Easton, you know? So I always want to know, okay, what did you trade? You know, what did you do here? You know, am I going to have to call a parent and go, listen, I am so sorry that basically my son gave you a piece of, your son a piece of paper and, and your son gave him a gold brick or whatever, I, you know, or vice versa. Am I going to have to call a parent and go, seriously, that's really cool. You know, but, but, but there's that trade. And he, so he tells me the trade. And here's the good thing. So far, we've been good. So far, we've had some pretty good even trades. Makes me feel good as a dad. You know, it's like, okay. Good. Number one, son's not getting advantage, taken of, and, and, and not taking advantage of anyone, okay? But you think about the most unreal, unbelievably lopsided trades in all of history. And here it is. Jesus becomes sin for us. He takes on the pain and the suffering and the shame that comes from your and my sin. He literally becomes sin for you and for me. And what do we get out of the deal? Eternal life, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, the righteousness of God. This is the greatest over, over, uh, lopsided trade in the history of the world. And Peter starts to share it. He says, listen, you did this, but look what God has done. Look what Jesus has done. So he begins the focus to be on Jesus. You realize, you realize that, that the whole Bible is all about Jesus? You know, like we, we talk about, well, we're going to talk about Jesus. Okay, well, where do we talk about Jesus? Oh, well, let's go to the Gospels. You realize that the whole Bible is about Jesus? If the whole Bible is all about Jesus, shouldn't every church be all about Jesus? Shouldn't every marriage be all about Jesus? Shouldn't every relationship be all about Jesus? Look, I want to show you this. This is important that we get this because like I said before, we have kind of unfortunately twisted some things and not become as Jesus-centric as we need to be. But when we look at the Bible, and I'm going to do this at 30,000 feet, when we look at it through the lens of Jesus, we're going to see some things, okay? We're going to see some things. In the Old Testament, we see anticipation. We see anticipation. Even from the very beginning, we see the pointed to Jesus. We see it constantly in Exodus. We see it constantly in David's life and in the Psalms. All of these things are looking forward to the Messiah, looking forward to someone coming that's going to change everything. The Old Testament is all about Jesus, and it's all about looking forward to Jesus' coming. In the Gospels, we have manifestation. We see it before our very eyes. 
We see the life of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, how Jesus taught, how Jesus ministered, how he dealt with his disciples, how he dealt with the Gentiles, how he dealt with other individuals, both religious and not. But we get to clearly see the life of Jesus. In Acts, we see proclamation. They go, they're sent. This whole series, what's it called? Sent. We're proclaiming who Jesus is. In the epistles, we get explanation. We get to understand who Jesus is and how to live our lives and and how to deal with each other and how to deal with this world and and really what Jesus did and break that all down. We get real Romans and and which is so theologically thick, but we also get get John first John and how to love one another and how to share Christ. All these things come forth as explanations in the epistles. And then finally we have revelation with the consummation. It's the finishing. It finishes. But you know what? It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It's in your notes. Break it down as simply as I can. From beginning to end, your Bible is an epic story about Jesus. And I want to challenge you on something. As you spend time reading your word every day, hopefully, please, find Jesus in everything. Find him because he's there. You want a game? Find Jesus. You know, not, not where's Waldo? Where's Jesus? Because he is there all throughout Scripture. He's there. So Peter focuses on who matters most. Next, he does something a little different. Now, remember, he knows his audience here. But next, he moves into the affirmation. He goes from, from the explanation to the focus. And now he's going to say, listen, I'm going to put a little more weight on what I'm saying. Look at Acts 2. Acts 2, starting with verse number 25. This is what Peter says. Now again, he's speaking to a Jewish crowd who knows their scriptures very well. He says, King David said this about him, speaking of Jesus. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Peter here is quoting out of a psalm of David found in Psalm 16. Basically, that's 8 through 11. He is basically saying, listen... King David expected him. Remember, we just talked about what the Old Testament was. It was expectation. And he's saying David was looking forward to Jesus. He says God would not allow him to rot in the grave. He is. Basically, we just sang a song about living hope. Basically, David's saying Jesus is that guy. He's our living hope. Thousands of years before Jesus was ever born. So they're hearing these words and they're going, wait a minute, I know that song. I've heard David say that. Is this who David was speaking about? Let's continue. Acts 2.29. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself. That was a common misconception at the time. For he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. Now, isn't this interesting? Okay? Why is this interesting? 
He's basically saying, you can go find the tomb of David. He's in there rotten in the grave. Where is Peter at when he's speaking these words? Jerusalem. What happened about 50 days earlier? There was a guy who was crucified and died and they put him in a tomb. And they knew where the tomb was. And they could go and find the tomb. And guess what? The tomb is empty. He says, listen, David's still in that tomb. But there's somebody greater that isn't. There's somebody greater that isn't in that tomb. But he was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of his descendants, David's own descendants, would sit on his throne. He's speaking of the promise that God gave David that basically from the line of David, there would be a king that came. And that was Jesus. Why Jesus, we always call him the lion from the tribe of Judah. That was David's lines. David's uh, descendant, basically. So David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and God and, and, and the Father, as he promised gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ended, ascended into heaven. Yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So here Peter's like, listen, listen, you, you, you don't, if I'm not good enough, if we're not good enough, let's look at David's life. Let's look at what David said. David was prophesying through God's spirit. Again, that little drop here or there that he allowed to prophesy about what they were seeing in this moment. So he comes, he gives them the explanation. He gives them the focus. This is all about Jesus and what God is doing in him and through him. He says, listen, if, you don't, if, if, if I'm not enough, let's go to the scriptures. Listen, it's so important that we understand that a firsthand account is so important when we share Jesus with people. We need to share what Jesus has done in us, but not neglect God's word as well. We need to know it. We need to share it. And that's what basically Peter was saying. He's like, listen, we witnessed this. We were firsthand. But God's word prophesied about it. God's word showed it. David, through the, a gift, uh, the gift of prophecy from the Holy Spirit, shared these things thousands of years ago. So he uses God's word to bring forth that affirmation. The final thing is the action. Now, I know this is kind of maybe a call to action, and then we're going to kind of look at the response of the people. So in Acts 2, 36 through 37, this is what it says. Peter finishes it out. He's, he's tying the bow on it. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Now look at verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. Peter's word pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Okay. 
Let's leave it. Let's leave it there. Uh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go to John 16 in just a second, Zach. Let's leave it up there because I want to see this. Okay. I want you to. We're gonna break down this really quickly. Okay. Look at verse 37. We see Peter's words, and then we see pierce their hearts. Peter's words and pierce their hearts. I love the partnership that God wants to have as we are sent out into our world. Do you see the partnership? Peter's words, and then the Holy Spirit works. Okay. Now, can the Holy Spirit work without our words? Sure, sure he could. But if we're sent, words are going to be a part of what we share. Yes, actions are important, but words matter too. And Peter shares the words, and the Holy Spirit responds. Now, go ahead, Zach, let's put up John 16. Here's how we know what this idea of piercing their hearts really means. John 16, 7 and 8. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking and he's telling them this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, some scripture uh, translations say, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What does that mean for us today? Simple. Your job, my job, is not to convict people of sin. It's not to convict them of righteousness and judgment. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And he does it much better and much more effectively than you and I. Our job is like Peter, to speak the words. To speak the words. So as Peter has shared these things, they are cut to the heart. They're pierced to the heart. It's this idea of conviction coming from the Holy Spirit. Not shame, not guilt, but conviction. Conviction. So that's one of the Holy Spirit's jobs. Now let's continue on. Acts 2, 38-39. Peter replied. There's the action. Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you. I love verse 39. I love it. This promise, those, the promise in 38 is for you and your children and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord are God for all of us. Remember what he talked about in Joel? Joel poured out on all flesh, all people. Not just today. Not in those moments where Peter is speaking those words. Not just in the days where those words were being recorded by Luke. Not just in the days while the apostles were still alive and with us. But for those that are afar off. All of us. All of us. Let's finish Acts 2.40. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Okay, listen. If you ever come to me and say, Aaron, you speak too long, I'm just following Peter's example. He preached for a long time. Okay? We don't have the whole message. We have a very small snippet. Some of you are probably like, yes, Aaron, that would be great for you to do the same. A very small snippet. So he continues to share. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked 
generation. And then verse 41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. As we close, I want to and kind of look at this. I want to kind of break down what Peter really said in verse number 38. And because if it's for all of us, if it's for all of us in 39, what, what, what's Peter really looking at? What's he trying to help us to see? And kind of some application. So, so Peter really gives the crowd two actions to take. He gives them two actions to take. Number one, he tells them you need to repent. Okay? I know we've talked about this before, but repentance is more than saying I'm sorry. Okay? Repentance, the word, the condemnation behind it is literally the concept of 180. It is turning around and going the opposite way that we were going. So it's repentance. Not just, like I said, not just saying I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm sorry and now I'm going to change the way I live my life. So number one, he says there needs to be repentance. There needs to be repentance. Number two, he talks about baptism. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, now trust me, I, I, I was looking at a baptismal service before this, okay? Why does he mention baptism? We, we don't believe that you're saved because you get baptized, okay? We believe that what Scripture teaches us and shows us is that baptism is an outward expression of an inward work. But what I believe Peter here is wanting us to see is several things. Number one, he's seeing that not only should our life be one of repentance and change of direction and focus, but our life should also be one of obedience. I believe that every Christian needs to be baptized. Will you go to, not go to heaven if you don't? Nope, that's not what Scripture says. But I think it's an act of obedience. I think it's basically me saying, I will follow in the steps of my Savior. That's what Jesus did, and I want it too. It's a testimony as well. It shows others what God has done. And it's also, it changes us, doesn't it? It's a physical representation of something that God does spiritually and is doing spiritually in all of us. We're going to have a baptismal here real soon. And I promise you this, there's going to be people that are going to come up these stairs. They're going to walk down into this. The tank's in there. They're going to walk down in there. And they're going to look one way. And I promise you, when they get up and they walk out there, they're going to look different, a lot different. It's an understanding. I believe baptism is a way to express that before Jesus, I was one way. And after Jesus, I'm completely different because of what he has done. You don't do it. The water does it. Just like we don't save ourselves The blood of Jesus has saved us. So he says two actions. This idea of repentance, turning towards Jesus, and then baptism. And then guess what? Then he doesn't just give us two actions to take. He then gives the crowd two promises that go along with those actions. Again, remember, for all of us, today and tomorrow, number one, he promises forgiveness of sin. When we repent, when we turn to Jesus, when we say, God, you are, you have, Jesus is exactly who he says he is, we get that forgiveness of sin. And then the second thing he promises is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. It's so interesting. And, and, and here's the thing. If I was kind of breaking down this series, and this is kind of like part one 
okay? In the last couple weeks, we've, we've talked about the, this, the ecclesia and, and the fact that the church is not a kirka, remember? Remember, it's not, it's not a building, it's not a place, it's not, it's not a product, it's, it's a people and a movement of people with a conviction. That's what the ecclesia is. And basically, so Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. And he puts those people in that ecclesia on a mission. He says, you're to go and you're to share who I am. You're to make disciples from here to the ends of the earth. But then he says, but wait until I give you the best tool ever to accomplish the mission. I love this. It's in your notes because I thought it just is so important that we remember. God has called all of us to do something substantial for him. Then he empowers us to get it done. I love that. I love that our Jesus doesn't say, hey, Aaron, I want you to do this to what must seem, it must have sent to them. And quite honestly, at times seems to me as just out of the realm of possibility. And then he says, Here's the biggest tool that you'll ever need to get it done. Now, here's the problem that I find at times with people. They leave their giftings at home. We're sent. We're on mission. We're supposed to go. We're supposed to be that ecclesia. And yet, the best gift to help us to accomplish the mission that God has called us to we basically say, I don't need it. Can I, can I just be open and honest with you? As lovingly as I can make this, you need it. Is that a knock on you? No, we all need it. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. We all have these gifts that come from the Holy Spirit. We have to use them well. How are you using those gifts? Because this is a promise that we get that we can use and apply in our lives. Man, what a message. What's the result? <laughs> 3,000. 3,000. And what's great about that is that was just the beginning. We talked about it last week, remember? Remember I told you we're kind of, kind of, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, then we're going to come back and stuff. Remember what it said in Acts 2.42? People, I believe 242, people were added daily. 3,000 was just the beginning. How does that apply for you and me today? Let me help you with that. You ready? I just shared a sermon. I usually don't like that word. I like the word message. No big deal with the word sermon. I just kind of like the other one. But that wasn't the end. That was just the beginning. One man shared one message and was empowered with the Holy Spirit and 3,000 came to know Jesus. But you know what? Because of the way the ecclesia lived and shared, people were added daily. Can I ask you a question? What would you rather have? Okay, think about this for a second. I'll use it, I'll use it in money terms because we can all understand that. Would you want... $3,000 once a day, once, one time alone, or would you like $1 every day for as long as you live? 
would you rather have? I want one dollar. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know what's going to happen to me. But if, if, if I'm dead, you know, somebody else gets the money anyway. So it doesn't matter, you know. I want that sustained growth. I want God to continue to move and continue. Because here's the thing about our God, okay? <laughs> our God's bigger than one dollar a day. But how do we go from 3,000 to daily? It's not from a sermon. It's from being the ecclesia. It's by living all, all of our lives in a way that people generally like what they see and want to know who Jesus is. We talked a little bit about it last week. But listen, to do that, we have to live a life of repentance, a life of servanthood, and a life using the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's do this. Let's close our eyes. Let's kind of focus for a moment as I kind of bring this down for a close. This was an interesting message for me because, you know, a lot of, I, I was not in any way try, trying to critique Peter's message. I was just trying to look at it and, and, and see what may have been going through his mind and what the Holy Spirit was bringing forth. And, and for us today, there's so many things that we can take out of it. But first, first we have to see is, is maybe, and I have to, it would be foolish not to ask, maybe there's individuals here this morning or online and they would, you would say, you know what, I, I totally relate to the concept of having my heart pierced. And you would say, you know, Aaron, as, as you were sharing the words that Peter shared on the day of Pentecost, I, I felt like I'm just in that crowd and I'm just saying, what do I need to do? Jesus has done so much for me. What do I do now? What do I do? And I would, I would echo the words of Peter. You need to accept Jesus. You need to say, you know what? I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God, you raised him from the dead. I acknowledge that I need forgiveness. I, I need to, to repent. I need to turn around. I need to change. I need to allow, just like in baptism, I need to spiritually be changed from the inside out. I love that God's word tells us that, that he makes all things new. Not the ones you think are manageable. Not the ones you think are small versus the ones that you think are big. He makes all things new. And so if, if that's you this morning, whether you're here or online, we're going to pray in a minute, and you can turn to him. You can uh, allow him to do in you what he did to those individuals 3,000 years ago. Remember Remember what Peter said, and it's so true. It's for you and your children and those afar off. You know who you are and who I am in that concept? We're the far off folks. Most theologians and scholars think that that, that wording there either means one of two things, and probably it means both. It means Gentiles, it means people that aren't Jewish, but it also means people in the future. That's us. This is available for us today. So maybe that's you.
but maybe for others, we've done that. We've accepted that, but you know what? We haven't really been living our lives like the ecclesia. We have not allowed the giftings and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that each and every one of us have to really be used by Him. We've kind of lived our lives quietly. We haven't lived our lives in a way that allows those giftings to be brought forth so that God can use them in such an unbelievably powerful way. You see, here's the thing. Here's what's so important. Listen, to be the ecclesia, hear me, the disciples, the 120 on the day of Pentecost, had to leave the upper room. They had to leave the upper room. Listen, if they had stayed at the upper room, they'd have been a kircha. They would have been. They would have been a place, a location. To become the ecclesia, just like them, we have to leave this building and actually live it out in the world. Is that easy? No. Once again, we've been called to a mission that is so huge. But God in his ultimate knowledge, wisdom, grace, and goodness has given us the tool to accomplish exactly what he set us out to do. But listen, it's time we pick up our tools again. You say, well, listen, I, I, I know the Holy Spirit's given me the gift of hospitality. That's great. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you had somebody over to your house? I know God has given me the words of knowledge. Okay, when have you shared that? Not for your glory, but for the glory of God. Use them well, is what Peter has told us in his, I believe in 2 Peter. Use them well. Some of us have got real nice gifts and tools that have gotten real dusty. And God wants us to use them again for his kingdom and his glory. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, every individual online... If you haven't accepted Jesus, you can't right now. If you need him, he's here. He's here for you. And so here's what we're going to do. And I'm going to ask every individual here to help me. Because we've done this before. We're going to pray. And I want you all to repeat after me. It's always good to once again proclaim who Jesus is. There is, there's, we don't do this to get resaved. We do it to once again proclaim who we are, what we know, and what we believe. But if you haven't done this before, for you, this is a brand new start. This is a brand new start. So we're going to pray, and I want you to repeat after me, and then I will pray over all of us to once again use our gifts in the right way for his kingdom and his glory. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I love you. I thank you for the gift of salvation. It's not because of what I did. It's what you did. And I acknowledge I've messed up. I haven't met your standard. I've sinned. But Jesus, I know that you've promised me that if I will come to you and ask for forgiveness, that you will forgive me. So Jesus, I believe you were God's son. Jesus, I believe that you came and lived a sinless life. 
Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And Jesus, I believe that three days later, you rose from the grave. I believe you are Lord. I believe you are Savior. And I believe you died for me. I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. I believe in my heart. And now I have confessed with my mouth that you are Lord. And now you are my Savior. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for making all things new in me. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for the rest of us who have already prayed that prayer, and Father, thank you for those, whether here or online, that have now been, been adopted into your family. But for us, that God, we prayed that prayer. But Father, we have not allowed the gift of the Holy Spirit in us to be used into to the, 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 the level that it needs to be. Father, I pray that in this moment, you would once again begin to call us back to picking up those tools. That you would call us back to hearing and obeying what you've asked us to do. That God, we wouldn't necessarily seek out a position, but that we would instead seek out a purpose in you. And that, God, you would allow us in this moment, God, begin to put people, begin to put situations, begin to put things, God, in our hearts and in our lives that we can look at and go, yes, this is what I need to be doing. Yes, this is what I'm called to do. Yes, this is how I can use my giftings well for God's glory. And so that individuals will come to know him. Help us, God. God, no matter how long, what's great about a hammer, God, no matter how long it has been sitting on the shelf, when we pick it up, it can be used. And God, if we can use a hammer, how much more can you use a people that are willing to be used by you? God, you're good. Help us. Help us, God. Help us to take this message that was shared so long ago and it's still living and breathing and effective. Why? Because it's your word and that's what your word does. It changes everything just like you. So we love you. We thank you. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, thank you so much for being here this morning. I hope you have a wonderful week. Remember, sign up out in the foyer for a baptism. And also remember this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, prayer time together. Have a wonderful week. I love you all so much, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Jesus.